Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. We're here to look back at the results from match day 15 in La Liga in the 2021-2022 season. Very formal introduction to this week's podcast. Uh, I'm Phil Kitramelides and Sid Lowe is with me as ever. Hello Sydney. Hello Phil, how you doing? Are you feeling formal? Uh, I should really put a tie on, shouldn't I, and a, and a suit and everything. And, and, <laughs> you didn't get the memo. I yeah. didn't get the memo. Today was the formal podcast. Today was the formal podcast, Good. the formal Spanish football podcast. And we're going to be extremely uh, polite and correct in how we do things. Uh, let's start off. Let's stop being silly. Let's start off. Uh, I was going yes, to say something that my autocorrect on my phone would very definitely have rendered as duck that. <laughs> <laughs> let's stop being silly and get straight to the Spanish football. Um, this is what happened on match day 15 so far. Uh, we do have one game uh, left. It's Monday night and the latest instalment of how much do you really love Spanish football? It's Osasuna against Elche. Osasuna are quite fun to be fair. I yeah. might watch this. You know what I might do? I might start watching it and if it turns yeah. out not to be very good then maybe give up on it. Sounds like a good plan. Uh, on Friday night Athletic Club and Granada uh, drew 2-2 at San Mamés, uh, Jorge Molina, the veteran uh, for Granada, giving them the lead, a 2-1 lead, but um, the goalkeeper, Luis Maximiano, made a bit of a cock-up. There was a bit of a uh, dust-up in the penalty area and uh, it finished 2-2. Uh, then on Saturday, uh, Celta claimed an important win in the pouring snow at the Estadio Mendizorrota. The snow pour. See, now, here's a conceptual question. Does snow pour? It sort of floats, doesn't it? But this wasn't just floating. I mean, this no, was, it was pouring it was, down. I mean, this it was, was teeming it was, down. This it was, was falling heavily. Stop! Yeah, I mean, we need yeah. we need a word for pouring the snow, don't we? Because yeah. it's not. An, I mean, you could say in a snowstorm, but it doesn't offer you a, a verb. You want a gerund. Well, exactly. Anyway, this was a very heavy <laughs> second half snowstorm at Mendizorrota, uh, and Celta coming out on top. Big. Barry Aspas scoring the winning goal from an absolutely terrible penalty, uh, which was saved and he followed up and uh, prodded home the rebound. He did say afterwards, though, that um, I was very careful. Of, I was very conscious of not slipping over when taking the penalty, which is why he probably struck it so poorly. Um, then after that, in the East Coast, there was absolutely no snow in Valencia. They drew 1-1 at Mestalla against a very, very spirited Rayo Vallecano side who really, really went for it and could and probably should have got something more uh, from that game. And Mallorca against Getafe finished 0-0, probably the worst game of the season. Let's never speak of it again. But a brilliant <laughs> game took place immediately afterwards at the Estadio de la Ceramica, where Barcelona won 3-1 against Villarreal, their first away win of the season, first time they won back-to-back games this season. And of course, the first win away from home under Xavi Hernandez. Then on Sunday, Betis came from behind to beat Levante 3-1, thanks to a hat-trick from Juanmi, who's now the top-scoring Spaniard in La Liga Santander. He surpassed R.D.T. who didn't score for Espanyol in their 1-0 win over La Real, uh, but Yangel Herrera did. It was enough to inflict a first defeat of the season since the opening uh, La Liga day of the campaign for uh, La Real. Atletico Madrid won 4-1 at Cadiz, a much-needed win for Atleti after their much-criticised performance last week in the Champions League. Cadiz uh, looking pretty poor. And a really, really good game to finish things off at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid beating Sevilla by two goals to one. The winning goal, an absolute screamer from Vinicius Jr. Arguably the best goal he's ever scored, certainly for uh, Real Madrid. Although Sevilla really gave 
Real Madrid, a very, very good game. As we said, Monday night is Osasuna uh, against Elche. Good luck with that one. Uh, Patreon, we've released the final episode of TSFP Presents Messy Moments over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP last week, discussing more iconic moments from Lionel Messi's time at Barcelona. And we'll be starting a new series very, very soon. Patrons get two new TSFP Presents episodes every month, plus weekly bonus podcasts, Q&A podcasts, access to our Discord server, uh, producer Al's world-famous near-daily paper review, and loads more for just one euro a week. Pretty good value. Come join us. Right, the talking points. We'll start at the Bernabeu, where you were last night, Sydney. You were pitch-side for Real Madrid against Sevilla. Tell us, what was it like being pitch-side and and seeing that Vinicius goal right up close and personal? He scored right in front of you, didn't he? Oh, um, there's yeah. a leading question, Philip. He didn't. Um, he yeah, didn't. So I've actually sent you the video and you, you'll be able to confirm this to our listeners. The, because I was picked side and we, had to do, we, we have to do the flash zone. The flash zone, for those who don't know, is, is effectively the, the immediately post-game interviews. And you have to be in the flash zone kind of in time because the players get there pretty quick. In truth... I probably erred a little bit too much on the side of caution. You know, I probably could have waited to the final whistle. But Real Madrid, to get to uh, the Bernabeu, to get to that flash zone, you have to go up through the crowd. So you can't, you know, there isn't like a little nice little passageway or something that means you can wait to the final whistle and go up through the crowd. So what I did was, on 85 minutes, basically 85 and a half minutes, I started running up the stairs of the stand to be in a position where I could then kind of duck down the stairs and into the mix zone, to watch into the flash zone, to watch the last three or four minutes from the top of the stairs. And by the way, loads of people do it. Loads of fans do it. The place was absolutely full of fans trying to get a run on the traffic, you know, waiting by the gangway. So that, that the aisle I was standing in was absolutely packed with fans. Anyway, there's, you can see on the footage on the telly, you can actually see me. <laughs> the ball spears over to Vinicius. And as it starts to drop to his chest, you see this figure running up the stairs behind him, and it's me. <laughs> Um, now I was lucky enough that I turned round in time to see the ball travel through the air and it really rocketed but it was kind of disappointing not to see it you know directly in front of me but it was still an an, an absolutely brilliant goal and and obviously it comes as confirmation of the I mean I suppose this is debatable but I'm going to present it as a fact of the fact that Vinicius is probably the best player in Spain this season well, maybe maybe Benzema might have something to say about that. But yeah, I mean, Vinicius is certainly come on. He's the most exciting bounds. anyway, isn't he? He's definitely the most exciting. And, and you're right, it's the, it's the improvement that yeah. makes this so significant. And so after the game, we've seen many things from Vinicius, but correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've seen a thunderous shot yet. Um, um, well, maybe not like that. Um, not, not quite like that. And, and, and certainly, anyway, the, 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 this is what Ancelotti said. So Ancelotti was asked about Vinicius after the game and he said, you know, this is, this is a guy who's got... So, his phrase was amazing. He said, this is a guy who's got something very special in his feet. Uh, he said, technically and, and, and physically, he's got something very special in his feet. He said, but what surprised me was he showed us a quality that we haven't seen from him before tonight. Now, I think in a way, that is a microcosm of, of Vinicius's entire season or maybe of, of, of what's happened to him. Perhaps we should take it beyond just this season and say the last... 12 months or so, of this is a player who's consistently producing things that we had reached the point where we, we were on wondering if he could. You know, so this is a player we knew was quick, we knew was exciting, was very electric, but, and we've talked about this loads of times on the podcast, um, but 
the decision making was poor or in front of goal he would swipe at the ball and miss it or he would scuff his chance and he's developed a continuity and a consistency there uh, this was his 18th consecutive start for Real Madrid by the way which in itself is significant um and he's been adding things to his game that we hadn't seen before. So this was another thing. And this is the other Ancelotti quote that I really love from last night. Ancelotti, uh, having said that line about how he, he showed us a quality we hadn't seen him before, he said, this is another step towards him becoming, becoming one of the best players in the world. And I think that's right. It's, it's about progression. Um, and then obviously in the stadium, it's just about the madness of the goal, which was brilliant. It just feels like it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't have attempted maybe even last season or maybe maybe a year and a half ago because the control is so excellent. But then to bring it down and then to just get it in your mind and to shoot from there and to execute it, I don't know. It just felt like it wasn't necessarily something I associated with Vinicius being able to do, if, if, if anything. Yeah. But the fact that he knew, I, I can do this, I've got this. And he wasn't afraid to take that shot on from a long, long way out in a really difficult position. It speaks volumes for just how confident he is and, yeah. and the incredible form he's in. Well, that was one of the other quotes that I really liked about last night. Um, Emilio Botragueno, who, of course, is, is Real Madrid's institutional director. And in fairness, if we put this into context, it's his job to come on the telly after the game and say things that are good for Real Madrid. And that includes talking up their players and saying how good they are. But he used a word that I really, really liked about this goal. And he said, this goal is a symptom. So this goal is a symptom of what Vinicius is doing, of, of, of his improvement. This is a reflection of character and of confidence. And I think it's very simple to talk about that and very difficult to demonstrate because obviously it's an intangible. But the degree of confidence, I think you're quite right. I think it's not just that Vinicius scored a goal we hadn't seen before last night. It is that he tried a goal that we haven't seen before last night. And I think you're absolutely right on that. Mm. It was the winning goal in a game... In which for an hour, Real Madrid were perhaps, if not on the ropes, but certainly second best to a really well-organised Sevilla side. We knew that Sevilla are a good team. We know that. They just seemed to run out of steam after about maybe the, the hour mark. But the first half, they scored one goal through Rafa Mir. They could have had at least another couple. It was um, it was a really strong performance for the first hour or so. A really strong performance. And, and let me go back to how you started this, um, of asking me what it was like watching that goal up close mm. I didn't as I say I didn't get to see that goal up close but I was behind the Real Madrid goal in the first half and I had Sevilla obviously attacking that goal and very close to me and I was really really struck up close by the way that they played and in particular by how calm it was the the, the, the complete sense of control the sense that every pass was well chosen, that they knew where they knew where every pass was supposed to go. I think I only saw Fernando run once in the whole game, <laughs> and it, it seemed like he was. It seemed like he was strolling through this game. Joan Jordan, I thought, was brilliant. Acampos was everywhere. I mean, yeah. every time you looked up, Acampos seemed to be somewhere else, and and everywhere. Someone he was. tweeted us saying he's the he's the energizer energizer bunny. Yeah, there's a degree of truth to that, definitely. And and he, I thought he was brilliant. I thought watching Papu was very interesting as well because Papu was prepared to come very, very deep and get the ball, but also push very, very high up the pitch. He would come inside off the left and allowing Acuna to go beyond him. And I thought Acuna was very, very good as well. Um, and, and it just felt so clear to Sevilla what they had to do. They were completely, completely in control. Um, and they created good chances as well. The movement of Rafa Mir was good. Uh, obviously, look, this is entirely contradictory, but let me say it anyway. At no point did it feel like Real Madrid were in this game. 
And yet somehow it felt inevitable that they would end up being in this game, if you see what I mean. In that in the, when Sevilla were only 1-0 up, and then when Real Madrid got that goal, which is a really daft goal, the the one one, you know, a really really silly goal. The 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 right, makes, it's a goalkeeping howler. Yeah, it's a, yeah, and and Bono was Bono was very good about it post game in that he said, look, it was my mistake, it's my fault that changed the game, and he said, and I made the mistake of of trying to catch the ball when maybe I should have pushed it away. Now, for what it's worth, I don't think it's a mistake of concept because I think that shot was weak enough that he should have been able to catch it. I don't think the problem is choosing to catch. I think the problem is failing to do so. Um, but, of course, he just drops it against his post and then it's, it's easy for Benzema. By the way, I was told an amazing statistic last night um, by ESPN commentator Fernando Palomo, who said that this is only the second time in his entire Real Madrid career that Edda Militao has had a shot from outside the area. And both of them have been against Sevilla. <laughs> oh, wow. That <laughs> How about is... that? Very specific. Uh, very, very, very specific. Anyway, and, and yeah, Sevilla just had the feeling that Sevilla were completely, completely in control. And the other thing that was striking is obviously this is the view of it in the first half. And then in the second half, I got a view of Sevilla bringing the ball out from the back. And it was remarkable how willing they were to say to Real Madrid, come on then. And to take the risk of having Real Madrid come right onto them into the penalty area. Taking goal kicks very, very short drawing Madrid to them, playing it beyond them. There was one moment in the, about midway through the second half when Koundé got himself in trouble inside his own penalty area. Yes. And he did this little dink past two Real Madrid players. Yes. And I was right behind him. What are you doing, you absolute madman? But, you know, it, it, it came off. I, I thought Sevilla were excellent, but you're right, they ran out of steam. I also think you look at the changes and I think you can, you can point the finger at Lopetegui a bit, not least because this is a recurring thing. You know, about maybe a lack of ambition and so on. Although actually Lopetegui said after the game, he said, look, you know, he, he used a really nice phrase. He said, when you've got your foot up against the throat of Real Madrid, you can't let go. You've got to keep pressing. Because as soon as you stop pressing on that throat, they're going to come and, come and get you. Um, but you look at who they could bring on and then you compare that to who Real Madrid brought on, which is Camavinga and Valverde. And I think Ancelotti got that right in terms of putting energy onto the pitch. And putting drive onto the pitch. And, and just also the natural tilt of a game that Real Madrid feel more urged to chase, I think, than maybe Sevilla did. Hmm. Um, Sevilla brought on Oscar Rodriguez and Oliver Torres, who yes. didn't necessarily seem the right players to come on when you didn't have much of the ball. They're players to, to have the ball. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have the ball. Yeah, um, I mean, I can, understand, I can understand it in the sense that you, you think, right, we're losing control. Let's get two guys on who can control the ball and keep it for us. But of course, to control the ball and keep it, you've got to get it first. You've got to get it, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, listen, there's, there's actually loads for us to discuss and there's lots that we could talk about, but we're going to move on because we've got lots to pack in. If there's anything that we've missed from that Real madrid Sevilla game, which of course we have, uh, send us a question for our Q&A pod and we will talk about it tomorrow. Uh, we'll move on and talk about the uh, Villarreal-Barcelona game, which was a, a sensational game of football. Um, really, really entertaining. It finished 3-1 to Barcelona. It could easily have finished 3-1 to Villarreal. Um, some similarities in the fact that to the, to the Real Madrid game in which Sevilla were very good, had chances, took the lead and were able to um, um, take a, a big enough lead. Uh, Villarreal had so many chances, even Xavi Hernandez afterwards, suggesting that his side were lucky. We had a bit of luck, he said. And and they were, because Villarreal, as we saw midweek against Manchester United, they create plenty of chances, they just can't take them. Yeah, and I, I don't know if there's a certain parallel maybe between Emery and Lopetegui here, in that there's, there's that moment in the game. 
And actually, in fairness, it's not so much the case in this game. I think it's less the case in this game than in previous games. But there is that moment in that game when you sort of think the chances have gone and, and there's sort of an awareness that the chances have gone, if you sort of mm, mean. Mm. And, and then that, that kind of becomes, I suppose, an invitation to attack them. Now, as I say, the reason why I'm reluctant to bring this analysis in now is because I bring it in perhaps at the wrong time because I'm not entirely convinced this was the case this time around. There, maybe there's a small element of that, but you look at you look at Depay's goal, for example. You know, Villarreal continue to make chances till right near the end, and you look at Depay's goal, and it's about the least Barcelona goal you could ever wish to see. If we're going to talk about, but the Barcelona of which Xavi is the kind of the guardian of purity, if you see what I mean. Yes, it's, a, it's an aimless thump up the pitch. It's a bad header from a defender, uh, Pervisi Stupinian. And it comes to Depay, who, who runs around the goalie and puts it in. I mean, you could hardly get a less Barcelona goal. Um, and, and, and I look at Villarreal, and I'm trying to decide, and I think this was borne out by both Manchester United games in the Champions League. I think it's been borne out by a good four or five games in La Liga this year. I'm trying to decide if they're really, really, really good or unacceptably vulnerable. And, and I honestly don't know the answer to that. Remember the nil-nil at the Bernabeu that they played? They played so well there. You look exactly. at that and you're like, this is a really, really well-organised, well-coached, really good team. Yes, exactly. And, and you look at it, but again, it was a nil-nil draw. Mm. And you think, why, why? And obviously, look, you can, you can only blame the manager up to point. In fact, you can't really blame the manager, I suppose, if, if, if sufficient chances are made and not taken. And that was certainly the case at the Bernabeu. It was absolutely the case at Old Trafford. I think it was the case, perhaps a little bit less so, uh, uh, the Madrigal, sorry, at the, at the Theramica against Manchester United. Um, and so the truth is, I still don't know the answer. This is a team that still draws too often. And I can't put my finger on why, beyond over offering up the fairly weak argument, which is they've just been a bit lucky in it. And I'm not sure if they've been a bit unlucky in it. It's much of an, it's much of an argument. Well, I'll take it. That, that's all right, man. We don't have to go too uh, too deep all the time. Sometimes that's uh, that kind of argument's fine. Um, Barcelona under Xavi Hernandez, they've had two league games, two league victories. They've struggled a little bit defensively. Attacking, they seem to be playing better. Although yesterday on, on La Liga TV, we did a perhaps a little bit um, of a unnecessary comparison between the statistics from the uh, first 13 games under Ronald Koeman and the last two games under, under Xavi Hernandez. And actually, perhaps a bit eye-catching, one of the most eye-catching things is that the last couple of games, they've had less average possession than they did yeah. again under Ronald Koeman and less possession in the final third as well, although they are committing more fouls. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the committing more fouls actually genuinely is part of, uh, the, if you like, the Chavian manifesto in that this is a team that wants to to press very high. And yeah. we've, seen, we've seen this, of course, with Pep Guardiola's Man City. Press very high and break the move there, break the opposition's mm. moves there, even if that means fouling, and mm. sometimes very consciously and deliberately if it means fouling, because if you can't make that, tra- that tackle, just, just kill it anyway. Um, I suppose one counter to that argument is it's, it's early to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the first game, I think they lost control. And it's not about... I mean, Xavi's complaints after the, the derby were about not having had the nerve to keep doing it, to keep mm-hmm. doing what they've done in the first half. And of course, this is a big thing that he's trying to drive home. Um, I think we saw against Benfica that they did have the ball much more throughout the game. And in this game, they were playing against a very good team. And, and Xavi was... Xavi, said a couple of very interesting things and did a couple of very interesting things. One of them was, after this game, to make a point, 
And I think he's right, or obviously it suits him to make this point, but I also think he's right. He said, look, we played against a really good team. He actually called them un señor de equipo. You know, mm. a, real, a, real, a real classy team. You know, a, a, a real proper team um, that's very well organised. And he talked about that and he said, and he was very clear, he said, we were lucky. You know, he mm. didn't hide, hide from that. He said, we were, we were fortunate in this. The, and then the thing that he did that was very interesting... And I'm trying to put my fingers on exactly which minutes we're talking about now. Um, but he, he went through this little period of more or less going man to man across the pitch. And he was asked in particular about the decision to try and get Eric Garcia to follow Moy around. Moy mm. Gomez. Which is a very, a, a very unusual decision to take a central defender and say go and, go and follow one of their kind of a semi, would you call him a creative midfielder? I suppose you would, wouldn't you? Sort of a wide attacking midfielder, um, which of course draws him a long way out of the kind of positions that a central midfielder is normally in. This is coming from Xavi, who's a manager who is all about positional rather than about, he's not, he's not a Bielsa acolyte. I mean, he, I'm sure he admires Bielsa, but he's not a Bielsa acolyte in terms of, right, I want a high intensity team that follows their players everywhere, man to man, all over the pitch. He's much more positional acolyte. But then he explained it after the game. And by the way, Xavi's press conference is going to be very, very long this season because he does give really deep tactical analysis and respond to questions that are about football in the way that a lot of managers won't do. Uh, and he said, basically, that he felt they'd been outnumbered in those areas, the, the kind of areas of the pitch that Moy was in and that Villarreal didn't have necessarily the forwards for the, for the Barcelona defenders to pick up on. So he said, well, I released one of my defenders and he used that Spanish phrase, which I never know how to, expl- how to translate properly, to saltar. Um, I suppose to yeah. break out from the line and move on to someone, to, mm-hmm. to, to, sort of, to, to sort of leave his post, as it were. And so Eric was the player who had to do that. Yeah, but he left a, a motorway behind him. Well, he absolutely <laughs> did. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's the problem. In Spanish, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you, you can look at that and you can say that Chavi got it wrong in terms of what we actually saw. Now, I, I appreciate the fact they explained it to us. I mean, because, mm. you know, I've, I've said this a million times, but, you know, compared to these guys who are all fully prepared and have coaching badges and all that, we don't know shit. And at the very least, it's nice to know what they were trying to do, even if when you watch it, you think, actually, that didn't mm. work and I'm not convinced by it. Because it's, you know, you're more than entitled to not be convinced by what a manager does. Mm. Um, have you been convinced by what Chavi's been doing? Um... I think he he has come up against some of the reality that Kuman expressed. Es lo que hay. Es lo que hay. But I th- I think he's right not to express that because as I've said before, yeah. and, and and you know this is this is looking at it from a psychological point of view as much as from a playing point of view. I think there was a risk of fatalism with that. In fact, I think there was a reality of fatalism. I think they were expressing an idea which isn't good for them in the long term, and I think probably wasn't good for them in the short term either Mm. Um, I think that some of Chavi's ideas are interesting I think the Benfica game certainly suggested there's something there I think part of the Espanyol game certainly suggested there's something there Um, I think this game didn't Mm -hmm. but they got the win Um, and I don't and and Chavi obviously and a lot of people have have jumped on Chavi saying oh well now you say the result is okay now you you know you're the Puritan now you're saying it's okay to win and not play badly to be fair I think Chavi's always said that He's always mm. said he'd rather not, but he's always said, look, bottom line, right now we need to win games. So I was talking to um, Javi Calleja this week because I was up in, in Vitoria. You were. And, and, he's, and the, the reason I bring this up is because it, it's applicable to Xavi and I suspect it's applicable to all managers. He was talking about, I was talking to him about when he took over last year and rescued Alaves. And he said they got, he felt that they got lucky in the first couple of games when he got there and they won games that they didn't actually play very well in. And he said, but when you turn up at a club, particularly one in that kind of position, even if you're not playing well, you absolutely need that. 
because you need the confidence to come from results because it really doesn't come from anywhere else. Mm. And so I think, I think this is applicable to Xavi too. You need these results, even if the performance isn't good, because bit by bit, because it doesn't happen straight away. And if you go in there and you lose the first two or three, you can be sunk before you've even had a chance to start. Mm. Which, by the way, is happening to Levante. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on and talk about uh, Atletico Madrid's 4-1 win at Cadiz. Atleti really, really needed this. There were some incredible images of Diego Simeone yeah. celebrating um, Thomas Lamar's first goal, which came on, on 56 minutes. So they had been held for nearly an hour by a very uh, resilient Cadiz side. Anyway, Lamar scores, and you might have thought he might jump up in celebration, pump his fist. He just slumps back on his chair and puffs out his cheeks, just whew, like relief. It was really, really... It uh, really was. Eye-catching, it, yeah. It really was, because if you look at it, it looks like he's conceded, not scored. He sits back in his chair in a way that is looks... He looks exhausted. I mean, in a, in a way, it almost doesn't even look like relief. He almost looks angry at it, you know, annoyed at, the, at this. And he slumps back and he's exhausted. And you know what I also thought? I mean, obviously this isn't the case, but in terms of the imagery... He looks sort of half drunk in that he sort of slumped back and sort of, oh. <laughs> I kind of thought, wow. Um, and I think, you know, this tells you something about the, the pressure that he's under. I think it tells you something about the game itself, but about more than the game. Obviously, the result in the Champions League, um, the, 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 just that kind of, you know, that, there's, there's a certain parallel maybe with Atletico and Villarreal this year. There's been moments this year I thought Atletico have played very well. But they haven't always taken the chances. They've been vulnerable. The first chance they concede tends to be the first goal they concede. Um, and and I, think, I think there was a huge amount of relief. But yeah, the, the, the imagery didn't even suggest relief. It almost, it almost suggested annoyance. It did, didn't it? It, it didn't yeah. look like they'd, they'd, they'd scored. It yeah, like they like they've conceded. conceded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, after that, Antoine Griezmann scored. Uh, then Ankel Correa scored a fabulous, fabulous goal. And Mateus Cunha uh, also scored a, a tremendous goal. I mean, they're really, really nice goals. Well worked. They took Cadiz apart because yeah. Cadiz, every time they try, they try and play some football or try and get into the opponent's penalty area, uh, they tend to end up getting absolutely uh, destroyed. And, and, and that's what happened if they tried to get back into the game. Atleti took them apart. The goal they scored, though, Cadiz, came from an unbelievable error from Jan Oblak. I mean, it's just a bizarre mistake from any goalkeeper, let alone the best goalkeeper in the world, as he has been yeah. perhaps in the last couple of seasons. So, yes, really good um, second-half performance from Atletico Madrid. Some really, really goal, good goals scored. Lamar, Griezmann, Correa, Cunha, all getting on the score sheet. That's super positive, yeah. But Oblak, that still remains that yeah. question mark about him. I agree with you, and I, and I think, you know, at any other time in his career, we just go, well, it's just kind of a freak accident. Uh, and I think this year, and look, this is, a, this is a goalkeeper being held to ludicrously high standards. Ludicrously high standards. Of course. And, 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 is he a blacktopus? He is the oblactopus, and, and partly it's about where we, where we place the bar, and maybe we set the bar too high for him. But, <laughs> but this has not been a good season. Yeah, for him. Well, that was a all. problem for him on Sunday. He didn't know where the bar was. Well, quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The, someone had set the bar in the wrong bloody place. <laughs> yes. 
Sorry. Um, but yeah, that was just the one sort of sour note for, for Atletico Madrid not being able to keep uh, a clean sheet. They've still not kept a clean sheet away from home this season, which is an extraordinary statistic for Atletico Madrid. But they're in a, a decent position um, anyway, despite that. Uh, they're four points behind leaders uh, Real Madrid. Real Madrid will go seven points clear if they win on Wednesday yeah. night uh, against an uh, athletic club. It's potentially a really, really strong position for Los Blancos. Um, at, uh, Atleti on 29 points. Same number of points as Real Sociedad, uh, who lost at Espanyol. They just perhaps run out of steam a little bit, although they had a chance to take the lead in the game, Real Sociedad, uh, away to uh, Espanyol. They did take the lead, but the goal was ruled out in really, really bizarre circumstances. You might not be surprised to hear that the referee was Mateo Laoz, uh, involved in a really strange and controversial uh, incident. Essentially, um, the ball was played. It ricocheted off Mateo Laoz into the path of a, a Real Sociedad player. He put his arms out as if to indicate play on, play on. And La Real, a couple of seconds later, ended up scoring and that goal was ruled out because he'd been involved in the build-up. It was a bizarre and mm. confusing incident, didn't it? Well, it was... We had a discussion about this on the radio. Now, this was, uh, this was, this was a game I was doing on the radio, and we had a discussion about it. And, and obviously on the radio in, in, in Spain, the one I work for, Canonese, has uh, Iturral González, a former referee, um, who is our kind of refereeing expert and he, he does all of the games with us. He's, he's also very pugnacious, Itu. Um, he's, he's fantastically good fun, but he's very, very pugnacious. And he, he was saying essentially the decision is the right one because if the referee gets it, and by the way, I had this discussion with him and um, his answer was, well, it's your fault, it's your countryman. Why has the rule changed? You know, once upon a time, the referee was just part of the pitch. If it hits him, tough luck, you carry on. Now, if the referee changes the nature of the move, then you stop and you have a drop ball. Now, the other rule that's changed is drop balls are no longer drop balls. You don't compete for them anymore. You drop it to the team that had the ball. And when he did the drop ball, he did about 20 metres away from where it actually happened. Anyway, to, to try and go back to the initial event, um, what happens is the ball is... A pass is being made to Janusai, I believe. But it hits um, Matteo Loth and it takes all the pace out of the pass and it goes to Isak who then gives it to Janusai, who then plays the pass of the goal. I think that's right. Anyway, it, it, it basically, it adds one extra, one extra link in the chain, if you like, for the pass for the goal. So in that sense, it, maybe you could argue it doesn't materially change the move. Now, in a, what Itu's argument was, was that as soon as it touches Matteo Loss' foot, he should stop the game then. But he says carry on because he thinks it hasn't changed anything. Which is why it goes to the VAR, because in the VAR they say, well, look, it does change the move. And so you've got to rule this out. Right. But you right. have this very long discussion. And there's this lovely line from Oyarzabal, which I'm actually going to look for for you now, because I just thought it, was, it sort of really sums it up. He says, Oyarzabal says, I love this phrase. I just love the choice of phrase. He told us that the goal had to be ruled out because when the ball went to him, it improved the move. And I just yeah. love the idea that the move improves because the referee gets a gorgeous touch. Um, because <laughs> yeah. so yeah. it, it improved the move. And I suppose if you watch it back, actually ruling it out probably is the right decision because you do see a couple of Espanyol players stop or half stop. But, but it, was, it was all very silly. It was a little bit silly. Um, we don't like to talk about referees on this but, podcast. But this as, week we have to. As dear listener, um, you will know. But yeah, this week there were there were some pretty eye-catching decisions 
that weren't given and some that were. Lucas Ocampo should have had a penalty uh, at the uh, at the Bernabeu that wasn't given. There was a really flagrant handball from Gerard Piquet that, that wasn't given. There was a foul on Raul Albiol in the penalty area by Eric Garcia that, that wasn't given. The penalty that was given to Valencia uh, against Rio was unbelievably soft. Um, it wasn't a good week for Refsid. Let me let me just go through those ones. Um, the Ocampos one, I think, is a penalty, but he does do this sort of little tuck dive thing. Doesn't matter. Which I know, I know, but I can understand why the referee might have looked at that and thought he's made the most of it. It's not it, yeah, clearly not. Penalty. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's well, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 Alaba said after the game actually, he said there might. I quite like that. Alaba's response to this. He said he said yeah, I think there was probably a touch. But I think he probably was a bit too quick to go to ground, which is probably true, but it doesn't make it not a penalty. Okay, that's one. The Eric Garcia grab, we see those a lot. I think it's a penalty, but I can understand why it doesn't get given. So there's two that I think are both the wrong decision, but I can understand why they don't get given. Um, The drop ball one, I think, is right, but was handled in a slightly bizarre way. Now, the two I want to pick up on are the PK one and the Valencia penalty. And I just want to mention them only because the PK one... There is literally no such thing as a handball if that's not handball. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, they, 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 you, you, he slides in, his hand's up, it slaps the ball, the hand goes to the ball <laughs> as well as the ball goes to the hand. The hand actually goes backwards and the ball is going in. He's about three yards in front of his goal. I mean, you, you, you cannot get a more clear handball than that unless it is literally a player diving and making a sensational save. Or just I mean, picking it, up the ball. Yeah, yeah there, there is almost no handball, more handball than that. So that's that one, and I just find it baffling, right? And and I think that you know, because I we always say this, it's more about the concept than than the, the sort of the justice or otherwise of the specific decision. And then the other one I want to go to is that Valencia penalty. I've got no words. I've got. I've genuinely got no words for it. In what? You had some words. You had some words on WhatsApp, but they were but, very rude. But they were very rude. Yeah. In what possible world? is a penalty given for that and then upheld by the VAR. You have... Uh, was it Maxi? No, it wasn't. It was Hugo Duro, wasn't it? It was Hugo Duro. You have Hugo Duro sort of lean forward, stick his leg backwards, lie on the floor and somehow get a penalty for it. I'm not convinced there is any contact at all. And even if there is contact, which there might be, it is 199% provoked by Hugo Duro and absolutely not a foul in any manner, in any way. It was one of the most bizarre... I mean, anyway, yeah. Uh, just, just, just bizarre, right? So you, can, you can tell that we don't talk about refs a lot. So when, when, when it has come out, it's all come out. So there we go. That's yeah, an yeah, outpouring yeah. from Sid. Yeah. Uh, we, we won't do it again this season. I don't, think, I, 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 don't, I, don't I don't want this to sound like a, having a go at a, a particular club either because it absolutely isn't about yeah, the club. Just, yeah. but, but, but let me add, let me add something here. Oh. Early in the season, when we were talking about that start to the season when Valencia was starting, we were thinking, oh, you know, Bordelas has changed their identity, which he has, by the way. They're very definitely a Bordelas team now. They're not a particularly great one, but they are a Bordelas team. When we were talking about that, in what's it? I think was it the first five weeks that they didn't lose, and then they lost to Real Madrid in week five or six. I can't remember. Um, in those first, they won their first three games, I believe. Two of those three, they were given absolutely laughable penalties, 
Um, and, and so, look, I, I, I mean that really in terms of the context of judging where Valencia are at, because they, they you know, and I'm not going to, I'm sure there are Valencia fans listening and they will be absolutely right. And I'm sure they can just, they can come up with some decisions that have gone against them. I'm absolutely sure they can. And they, they will be absolutely right. I'm not denying that. It's just that the, these kind of decisions, I, I, I just don't understand. Like there are sometimes decisions that I genuinely do not understand. That's it. There will be no more ref chat uh, on the podcast this season unless we have another staggeringly bad uh, weekend from our from our officials. Um, before we go, some breaking news. Don't usually do this on the podcast because oh. I might have already uh, broken by the time um, <laughs> by the time that Al gets it up. Uh, but yeah, the uh, Cope Radio in Valencia reporting there is an emergency meeting of the Levante board to discuss the future of Javier Pereira. He's taken over. <laughs> what a shambles. What an absolute shambles. Taken over. Um, I think it's, is it seven games in charge? They haven't won. They haven't won since the 10th of April. Um, they sacked their best ever manager in Paco Lopez, brought in a guy who's never had a top job before. And this is what's happened. Anyway. Here's one for you. Here's one for you. I mean, obviously, this is no more than a guess. I mean, in fact, it's not even a guess. There's no more than the silly idea thrown out Paco there. Lopez comes back. Yeah. 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 I, th- <laughs> yeah. I think it's happening. It's on. It's going to happen. Um, before we go, uh, the Segunda, uh, what a run Leganes are on. Yes. The mighty Pepineros, uh, Super Pepino is delighted. Medinafti has taken over as coach and they beat Las Palmas 4-1 on Sunday. That's 11 points out of 15 since he took charge. Cucumbers up, baby. Yeah, uh, elsewhere, leaders Almeria were held nil-nil by Wesker. Tenerife, who are second, beat Real Sociedad B2-0. And Sid saw Oviedo draw 1-1 at Mirandes. You lucky chap. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you got on the t- telly as well there, didn't you, behind I the did. Yeah. I did. I've had, a, I've had a good telly weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is the first round of the Copa del Rey this week. We've got... 56 one-off games. Everyone's involved, apart from Madrid, Barca, Atleti and Athletic are in the, the Supercopa. Some potential highlights uh, include uh, Club Deportivo Laguna from Tenerife against Granada, Unami CP against uh, Alaves, uh, Victoria CF uh, from uh, Galicia against uh, against Villarreal. You've got Córdoba against Sevilla, which is, which is great. Yeah. Independiente Alicante against against Betis and Utrias, tiny club from somewhere in Aragon who play on a fake pitch um, against Valencia. So yeah, and sorry, how could I forget Panaderia Pulido against Real Sociedad, Pulido Bakeries against Real Sociedad. Um, it is brilliant, new, isn't it? The new revamped uh, Copa del Rey and it's really what it's all about. So yeah, we'll keep our eyes over that and uh, who knows, there might be some shocks uh, involved. Uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow for our patrons with a Q&A podcast answering all your questions. So if there's something we haven't talked about, send us a question and we will tomorrow. We'll be back on Thursday as well for a bonus podcast. And yeah, the Spanish football keeps going and we keep podding. Adios amigos. See you later, Sid. Cheerio. Cheerio. 